Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome in to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're continuing our team top 10 prospects series today with the Arizona Diamondbacks, one of the best farm systems in baseball. And to do that, we're joined by Nick Picoro, the Arizona Republic's Diamondbacks beat writer and a fellow Arizona State alum. Nick, good to see you, my friend. Kyle, good to be here. Thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. You know, Nick, you and I have done these podcasts every year for, gosh, I think three, four years now. And we've talked about progressively it seems like each year the diamondback system is getting a little bit better a little bit better they're adding arms here they're adding really good impact talent at the top of the draft here and now as we enter 2023 you look at this system and it's one of the best in baseball take us through the process of how the d-backs kind of put the system together and and where it could potentially take them yeah i mean it's interesting i guess the first thing that comes to mind for me on that is just the fact that they've kind of gotten somebody near the very top of their board um several drafts in a row right i mean they were they were really excited to get Corbin Carroll where they got him at 16. I'm not sure that he was the absolute top of their board, but, but he was real high up there. Um, you know, in, uh, 2020, uh, or sorry, 2021, it was Jordan Lawler in 22. It was Drew Jones. Um, so, I mean, those are some real high end, uh, high upside, um, you know, potentially, you know, the, the, the kind of guys that you build an organization around a successful organization around. Um, you know, and then I guess like, I guess the other things that come to mind, I mean, they, they kind of were targeting stuff there for a little while um, and, you know, kind of really selling out for that and hoping that they could, you know, kind of hone in some of the secondaries with guys like Nelson and Jameson. Um, and, you know, internationally, it's been very much a focus, um, it seems, on, on kind of athleticism and, and up the middle kind of guys. And I guess the other thing that's interesting to me is that you know, I, I've been seeing him a lot lately is, is Christian Robinson's out here on the backfields. Like that's a guy that's kind of off the radar in a lot of ways. And a guy that, you know, if you would have asked me a few years ago, um, you know, what the future was going to look like for the Diamondbacks and, and, you know, kind of who was going to fit into it, I would have said Christian Robinson is going to play a really big role in it. He still might, but like, it's a guy we've, we've completely forgotten about, but another one of those guys that, that they've focused on that was an up the middle athlete, um, and, and it seems like a lot of these guys is, is kind of starting to come together for them. Yeah, I mean, very clearly the D-back strategy here is, look, we have the Dodgers in our division. We have the Padres now in our division. Two teams that are spending gobs and gobs and gobs of money going and acquiring, uh, you know, superstars and trades for agency. 
the only way to really compete against them is to build up such an enormous groundswell of talent from within your own system when you're a team like the D-backs. And it seems like they've done so. We saw some of these guys get to the majors last year, Corbin Carroll, Dre Jameson, Ryan Nelson. I feel like we always ended each of our previous D-backs podcasts with, okay, how much longer until they can realistically compete with these teams? I want to talk about that here at the start because the answer is a little more happier and optimistic than it has been in past years. Now that we're starting to see this first wave get to the majors, what's the timeline here for this team to, to have a winning record for the first time since 2019 and then potentially make the postseason? Yeah, I mean, it it could be that that they're on the clock right now, right? I mean, it, it doesn't seem impossible. I, I think obviously they'll have to have some things go their way. Um, I guess I guess a couple things come to mind just as as talking points to that question. Uh, first is Zach Gallon's got three years left before he hits free agency, right? So I mean, I, I think you're going to want to obviously try to capitalize on what time you you are assured of having left with Zach Gallon. Um, and in a sense, like you, you might even say that, that, the the timeline is a little bit sped up than from three years, right? Because if, if you're not where you need to be, say at the trade deadline in, in 2024, uh, does that change the way that you approach your, your future with Zach Allen? If you're not confident that you're going to be able to sign him to an extension. Um, so I, I, I do think in a sense, like, you know, the clock is kind of, is kind of starting to tick and, and that this is going to be an important year and next year, especially. Um, the other thing that, that kind of stands out, um, it, it goes back to what you're saying about competing with those two teams and meeting those high end players is I, I think you can make an argument that the Varsho trade, uh, that brought them Moreno and Guriel maybe made them a little, I don't know that it necessarily made them worse, but it wasn't, it doesn't demonstrably make them better, like assuredly, for right now. But I, I do think that it's kind of a no brainer when you start thinking further down the road, especially if you believe Moreno turns into what you think he's going to turn into. Um, and I, I, I find that fascinating just for a team that kind of, you know, for a front office, I should say that that might be kind of on the clock a little bit too, um, from, from ownership, you know, wanting them to kind of start to contend just that they, you know, I mean, they, they did the best deal for the organization in the long term and, and maybe not clearly the best deal for the organization in terms of 2023. Because, I mean, Varsho was their best, most established outfielder, um, you know, kind of the surest thing for this 2023 team. And they took him off and, and are kind of putting bets on, on, you know, Thomas turning into what they think he is and McCarthy turning into or being what he was last year and, and Moreno becoming that guy. So. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I guess I, I, I guess I just think like, you know, they've, they've got themselves a nice fascinating core of, of young players. Um, and the kind that, that you probably need if you're going to compete with, with teams that are spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars more than them, uh, per year in payroll. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's an interesting point you bring up McCarthy because anytime you're relying on a really good farm system to lead you to major league success, Look, if you have five great prospects, realistically, if only two or three of them make it, that's a win. Um, all five of them are not going to make it. But when you have guys who are maybe a little lower, you know, surprise you, good things can happen. I think about, you know, you mentioned Alec Thomas. He really struggled last year. You know, we'll see if he can turn around. But on the flip side, Jake McCarthy stepped in and was one of the best rookies in the National League. You know, we see a guy like Christian Walker who came up through the Orioles system, but, um, you know, was a deep prospect with the D-backs, exceeded expectations, became an everyday first baseman. So while maybe all their top guys haven't hit, Thomas, Geraldo Perdomo has struggled to hit, they're finding guys in other places too, which I do think bodes well for their long-term outlook.
Yeah. And I mean, I think you kind of need that, right? I mean, that's kind of the way that, that this works. Like you said, you're going to have to have, you're not going to hit on all of them. You're going to have to have those guys pop up and surprise. And in a sense, like that's kind of the history of, of the Diamondbacks success is, uh, you know, I don't think too many people had Brandon Webb as a, as a Cy Young award winning pitcher. I don't think too many people had Paul Goldschmidt winning MVPs. I don't think uh, very many people saw Cattell Marte turning into the player that he has been at, at times, uh, you know, especially in 2019. So, yeah, I mean, they, they kind of need some of these guys, um, you know, and I guess when, when you look at, at a guy like McCarthy, um, it, it, it's similar to some of the others in, in terms of, of the makeup and, and kind of the, just, just the kind of player that the, the person that's behind the player, right. And kind of like betting on that kind of all coming together. Um, yeah, I, I'm always curious to see who the next guy that kind of fits that that profile is going to be that that pops up. I, I'm trying to think of a name off the top of my head of a guy that I think it could end up becoming, but I'm kind of I'm struggling to come up with a name off off the top of my head. But but those are the guys that that fuel systems. I'm with you on that. Absolutely. All right. So this guy, if he hits like everyone thinks he will, will not be a pop up prospect. And that's Corbin Carroll. You talked about it early on. He was considered, you know pound for pound talent wise, easily one of the 10 best players in the 2019 draft class and a particularly loaded 2019 draft class, you know, not quite the top six, but seven, eight, nine, 10, absolutely concerns about his size. He fell down to the 16th overall pick. Um, also the 2020 season lost it to the pandemic 2021, uh, only got into seven games before suffering a season ending shoulder injury. So really didn't get a chance to play much. Uh, didn't get a chance to play a full season at all until 2022 didn't matter. Hit the ground running, double A, uh, really crushed the baseball at Amarillo, got to triple A, was there for only 33 games, finished the year with a call up to the majors. I mean, really his first full season went double AA, A, triple A majors. Um, one of the most exciting prospects in baseball, a guy who can absolutely hit, can absolutely fly, can absolutely play center field. What do the D-backs expect from Corbin Carroll and and just how good can he be? Um. I mean, I think you kind of said it all right there. I, I think that they, uh, they kind of expect and kind of need him to be that guy, right? That guy they build around and that guy that's, that's in the lineup and, and hits righties and lefties, um, plays good defense, creates havoc on the bases, um, kind of, kind of does it all. And, and, you know, when he has been out there, he's shown that he absolutely can. I mean, I, pretty sure he's surprised a lot of people with just how much how much there is to his game in terms of in terms of power at least I mean like you said like I'm not trying to say this was someone that's that's a you know a pop-up guy but um you know he, he's been a dude for a long time but I'm not sure that that people saw these exit velocities um yeah. as consistent as as he's produced um and yeah, I mean, I I think uh, I think the fact that they were already looking into possibly trying to extend him, I'm not sure that that's going to get anywhere. Um, just shows you how highly they think of him um, in all respects. I mean, it's a guy with just a handful of games under his belt, um, but I I think they like kind of everything there is about him: um, the the work ethic, the the preparation, the maturity, uh, the intelligence, the um, you know, intellectual curiosity. Um, he's, he's kind of the, at least from what the Diamondbacks have seen, you know, they think he's the total package. Yeah. Again, you talk about the makeup that's always been there. You talk to him. It doesn't take you very long to realize he's a very bright kid who gets it, understands the game, understands his game. And you kind of talked about the power a little bit. So 
he can absolutely make contact. He can absolutely run. He can absolutely play defense. If you can do those three things, you have a chance to be a really good player. And he can absolutely do those three things. The question has always just been, like you said, how much power will there be? He's a smaller guy. Now, he's always been strong for his size and showed you the ability to drive a baseball. But going out last year, he hit 24 home runs uh, in the minors, hit four more in the majors. The caveat is that power production came playing mostly in Amarillo and Reno, two of the most hitter-friendly and home-run-friendly parks in the minors. The ball really flies in both places. What is his realistic power projection? Is it going to be 10 to 15? Can he get to 20? What does it look like? I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, he kind of strikes me as one of those guys where it kind of, it could be what he wants it to be, you know, like if, if he wants to hit, you know, 25, 30 home runs, maybe he could, maybe it would come at the expense of other things, but you know, I, I just, I don't see why he couldn't end up being something like, you know, like an early career Grady Sizemore type of player where he hits something like 25 home runs and, and hits for power and runs and, and does all those things. Um, you know, it, it I'm kind of working on a story about, about just this topic and, and, and where his power comes from. And, you know, the, the coaches talk about just the way that you look at the way that he runs the bases and the, the, just kind of the, the machine that's at work, that is his body and the way that he, he's such a quick twitch explosive athlete. The same thing happens in the box. Um, just the, the efficiency with which he, you know, Every, everything syncs up, you know, the, the, the power that he generates, uh, in his lower half, the way that he transfers that, um, in his swing, it's just very smooth and very efficient. And it's, it's not unprecedented. Um, it's not like he's the first guy that's under six foot, uh, to hit for power. Right. But, uh, he's, he, he does it, he does it in a very, it's still, it's still for, for someone kind of with his build, it, it does kind of catch you off guard sometimes to see the charge that, that he can put in balls, um, uh, occasionally. I, I'm curious to see, I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like either. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if, um, if he were to hit 20 home runs, but if he were to also hit, you know, 15 triples, uh, especially at chase field, a, a ballpark that, you know, kind of the outfield walls tend to gobble up you know, balls hit on the ground into the corners or balls take crazy hops at, at, at times out there. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he had, you know, some pretty gaudy extra base numbers. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just watch him fly around the bases. It's, uh, it's pretty cool to watch. You know, it's funny you mentioned the triples. I almost think about, a, you know, this is a lofty goal, but you think about, you know, the Jimmy Rollins years where he was hitting, you know, 30 plus 40 plus doubles some years, you know, 10, 12, even 20 triples one year. And also was having, you know, some 15 homer seasons, got up to 25, 30 in his peak. So, I mean, this has a chance to be an impact player who who is a perennial all-star slash MVP contender at his peak, like Rollins, who was obviously a different position. Carroll was the clear-cut number one prospect in this system, but this is a system that now has four of the top 25 to 30 prospects in baseball, the acquisition of Gabriel Moreno. Jordan Lawler, Drew Jones. You mentioned the draft. It is kind of one of those things where, like anything else in life, there's an element of, of luck involved. You know, skill plus luck plus timing tends to yield good results. And you know, the D-backs got, in both the last two drafts, the guy that was arguably the best player in the draft fell to them. Lawler at six, Jones at number two. How did you kind of stack those two up? And then the acquisition of Gabriel Moreno, um, how does that kind of you know play into this, this next two to four group? Because they're all really good players. 
Yeah. Um, well, I mean, the Moreno thing popped up after I had already submitted my list. So I was kind of focused on those first three. And obviously it, it with Carol, it, it was kind of, I, I mean, I guess those first three, it was, it was a little bit of like, it was very like self-evident in a sense, right? It, it just, it just kind of, look, if, if someone wants to believe if there's evaluators out there who want to tell you that they think that uh, Drew Jones is the best of those three guys, right? They think that guy's going to have the best career or the Jordan Lawler's going to have the best career. Like, I'm not going to really argue with you, but when you're trying to rank them and you're looking at, at what have you done thus far in your career and, and, and all that, it just kind of, you couldn't really put them in any other order, you know, like there's just a safety in Corbin Carroll and there's a, there's a certainty there and there's more certainty in, in Lawler than there is in Drew Jones. And so it just kind of had to go that way. I felt like, um, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, Moreno, Moreno, I know, I admittedly know less about, but you're also talking about a, a catcher that can unquestionably catch and looks like he's going to hit. And, you know, if he hits 10 home runs or if he hits 25 home runs, it's, it's sort of a little TBD. Uh, but either way, I mean, that's a, in, in, you know, I'm not, I was going to say in this day and age, it's always been like this with catchers. Any, any catcher that can do those things is extremely valuable. Um, and really like, it's hard to think of too many guys with a similar skill set that end up getting traded at, at this point in their careers as, as established as he is. Like it's, it, I, I couldn't come up with, with any names. Um, so it's, it's a very unique group of, of players that they've, that they've collected here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, reviews on Lawler's first year got to double a, um, I saw him at Visalia, you know, the twitchiness, the athleticism really stood out. The shortstop play need, needs a little bit of work that came through in discussions with evaluators, but you certainly see the athleticism, the skill set, the talent, the aptitude. Um, just what were the overall thoughts on his first year and, and his outlook moving forward? Yeah, I think everyone was, I, I would agree with all of that. I think everyone was really encouraged. Um, and I think even from the defensive standpoint, like you do hear some people acknowledge that, there's work to be done and that there is a little bit of, of long-term positional, uh, you know, uncertainty. Um, I think most people that you talk to with the diamondbacks will, will say they, they fully believe that he's going to end up being a shortstop. Um, but, and, and, you know, you look at the way that his season ended, it was, and I mean, this is a, a little bit more of a rudimentary way of looking at it, but there were a lot of errors early in the year and there were far fewer errors as the season went along. Um, so, I mean, it, it does show that maybe there was an adjustment period and, and maybe he's already started to, to smooth that out. Um, offensively, I mean, it was hard to really nitpick, right? I mean, it was a, it was a really good season. He came out and hit right away. Um, he came to the fall league, uh, you know, he, he finished hurt. It doesn't sound like that's a, a big deal. I, I think he's fully recovered. I saw him hit a home run and in a spring training sim game the other day. So I'm guessing he's feeling fine. I haven't had a chance to really chat with him much. Um, but, uh, you know, in the fall league against older competition, he had really impressive at bats. Um, and, uh, and seemed to be, you know, it just didn't seem like you were watching a, a kid one year out of the draft. So, um, I, I don't think there's an, I mean, look, I, I feel like even if, even if the shortstop, even if he has to move off of shortstop, um, that's still a tremendously valuable player, um, at third base or second base or wherever he would end up. It seems like most people think he's going to hit no matter where he plays. Yeah, absolutely. 
All right, Nick, so we've talked about this really exciting group of position players up top. There's a really good group of pitchers just below them. I want to dive into them a little bit with you here right after we take a quick break. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we are back breaking down the Arizona Diamondbacks farm system. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Nick Picoro. All right, Nick, before the break, we talked about these four really exciting position player prospects, Corbin Carroll, Gabriel Moreno a little bit, Jordan Lawler, and Drew Jones, their first-round pick. And just below them, you have a group of really, really intriguing pitching prospects. And, you know, you and I have talked about this over the years, you know, both of us seeing these guys, working the system a little bit. At various points, there's been a debate, okay, how do you line up Ryan Nelson, Brandon Fott, Blake Walsh, and Dre Jameson, this, this quartet? They kind of moved around a little bit. Last year, Brandon Fott just took the reins and ran with it, established himself as one of the better pitching prospects in all of baseball. Um, I mentioned with Corbin Carroll, Amarillo and Reno are two places that are extremely, extremely hitter friendly. He went up there and had as much success as almost any pitcher you will ever see at those two places. What did the D-backs have here and what kind of led to his big, big breakthrough last year? Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I guess like, I mean, the, the thing that led to all the strikeouts, it sounded like was kind of an understanding of, of just how to better use this stuff and how to attack guys a little bit better. Like, I, I think it was as simple as like, okay, we get to two strikes. We're going to throw more pitches out of the zone. And it wound up like kind of opening up all of this, these avenues for, for swings and misses that maybe he wasn't, you know, he was just such an aggressive minded, like I'm going to go after these guys type of pitcher um, that that adjustment wound up leading to a, a lot more swing and miss. Um, as far as like, you know, what do they have? I, I I don't know, man. I mean, he, he kind of is one of those guys. It seems like he, he, you talk to people in player development they they just swear by him. Like they think he checks every box there is, you know, like stuff, uh, aggressiveness, um, pitching acumen, um, you know, asking the right questions, um, super competitive. Uh, it, it just seems like they, they think that they've, they've got like a, you know, maybe a frontline type of starting pitcher. Um, I, I, you know, the one knock on him is like, you know, maybe there isn't that one secondary pitch that's, that's like that, you know, massive wipeout, like, you know, 80 breaking ball or whatever it might be. Uh, but like, I mean, look at the results, like you said, I mean, at some point the results are the results. Right. And we'll, we'll see. I mean, he hasn't done it at the big league level yet. Um, he probably would have, if it weren't, you know, if, if there weren't a couple of guys, a few guys ahead of him, Tommy Henry came up first, then Nelson, then Jamison that were, you know, a year ahead of him, uh, in terms of experience and control, like he didn't need to be protected last year. Um, 
so uh, you know that'll be a test once he comes up and 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 you know shows that he can do it up here. But I mean, based on what we know, there's there's no reason to think he can't. And to be honest, it it seems like from chatting with people with the Diamondbacks, it's, it's almost like they're like hoping that he comes up and like really puts the screws to them, so to speak, this spring and just just dominates in camp and kind of forces them to make a decision. Um, I, I kind of feel like that that's going to be hard, right? I mean, I, I think it's going to be tough to, to jump over all of those guys and, and break camp in the opening day roster, but who knows? Um, I, I think they just feel like there's a chance this guy has something special and they, they want to see it right now and they just want to you know be forced to have to make that decision if, if, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think with thought, the thing that really jumped out to me just pulling up video is that fastball is just so, so, so overwhelmingly dominant. I mean, you can see it. Guys do not pick it up and it explodes on them. It's actually kind of funny. It's almost, you know, a blooper reel in a way watching the reaction some guys in the box have to his fastball. They just don't see it. They're frozen. They're so late on it. It's kind of a remarkable pitch. Yeah, I mean, I I heard some people talking about the the fact that that it can it can kind of move in multiple directions. You know, it 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 has carry, it it cuts. Um, it it does sound like it's like it's a real weapon. Um, just gets on guys in a hurry. I but I mean, like I guess to to go back to that, like I don't think that it just because he doesn't have that one dominant pitch doesn't mean he doesn't have two or three other plus pitches. You know, I mean, I I think that. I was I was in the clubhouse when he was throwing a some kind of a live session that they happened to have piped in on the on the on the monitors in the clubhouse and watching him throw this it looked like a two seam fastball but some of the guys in the room were like that's his changeup um, it's it, it I think he's got some really good good stuff to attack guys with so I'm I'm very curious to see how it plays and very curious to see how the Dimex kind of handle their their rotation this season if all of these guys you know, kind of pop up and, and are throwing well and, you know, what happens with Bumgarner, what happens with Davies, um, all that. Yeah. Again, Brandon fought established himself as kind of the clear cut top pitching prospect in the system this past season. But you mentioned earlier, Ryan Nelson and Dre Jameson both came up, made their major league debuts impressed. What are the thoughts on their outlooks and, and how they kind of stand moving forward? Yeah. I mean, I guess you would have to say that, that those guys based on, you know, just, just based on incumbency is a word that I've heard general manager Mike Hazen use from time to time. Um, I mean, look, Jameson had four starts. Nelson had three starts. The the two of them combined really didn't have a bad outing between them. Um, they threw great, showed really good stuff, uh, were aggressive. Um, like I would guess that those guys probably have a little bit of a leg up. Um, plus they're already on the 40 man, like we talked about. Um, but yeah, they're, they're going to be right there in the mix. Um, they, and their guys, they're, that was interesting, right? I mean, they were guys that did not have very good seasons statistically in Reno. It's just becoming harder and harder to know what to make of of any of those numbers down there. And and when you have a guy, you know, guys that come up that have, you know, kind of cringe-ish numbers in, in those levels and come up and dominate, it makes you not only question the the pitching numbers even more that that other guys are putting up, it makes you question the offensive numbers that guys are, are putting up, which, you know, we've probably always done. Um, but I don't know. It's just, it's amazing to see the, the opposite take place. Like it's not a surprise when a guy rakes in, in the PCL and then comes up and struggles in the big leagues, but to dominate the way those two guys dominated in their seven combined starts was, was pretty stunning con- considering the the numbers that they had put up in Reno. 
Yeah, I think coming into the year and during the year, you know, you still heard a lot of, hey, Nelson's good. It's probably more of a number four starter. Jamison has always faced faced some size questions, you know, sense that he might be best off as a reliever, maybe a closer. Are those still the projections on them long term, number four and a closer or have their you know performances in the majors kind of altered them and, and move them upward a little bit? Um I don't know. That's a good question. I, I, I think we'll have to see. Um, I, I do think that Nelson was, was throwing a little bit harder than people had expected when he came up. We'll see if that sticks. And Jameson's command was pretty darn good when he got up here. That was another thing along with the size um, that, you know, I, I guess he still needs to prove that he has, he has the command of a starter to be able to stick in that role. Um, I, I will say as, as far as the size goes, um, you know, his, his four seamer did have a tendency to get hit, um, from time to time. And probably that had something to do with, with, the with his undersized nature or stature. Um, but, uh, if you go back and watch those starts last year, he was using a two seamer that was moving a lot, um, and look and, and he could run up in the zone and throw pretty, pretty hard, you know, along with that lateral movement. I mean, that was a, that was a really good pitch and a really big weapon for him and, and kind of helps to offset some of those, those concerns. So those are both really intriguing guys. I, I don't, um, I don't know who's going to, who's going to, you know, end up with the rotation spot or, or how exactly, I mean, it could be a, it could be that they shuffle through a lot of guys as the year goes along. Um, but it'll, you know, it, it's, it's the first time in a long time the Dimex have had this many options, this many young pitchers kind of coming up. I think they had a wave. I mean, I guess it was probably a decade ago when it was uh, like the, the Patrick Corbin and Tyler Skaggs and Jared Parker and, Trevor Bauer right there and Archie Bradley behind them. And, and Wade Miley was maybe a little bit ahead, but you know, it's, it's been a long time. Um, so this is, this is a, this is an, an exciting time for this organization from the pitching front. Yeah. I think I remember looking back a few years ago and, and being surprised the last time the D-backs had a, a homegrown pitcher be really effective for them was Chase Anderson. That was like circa 2016. And you mentioned Nelson and the velocity. I saw him earlier in the year at Reno. He was 91 to 93, scraped a 94 once. The, the arm action was definitely a little long. And you noticed it later in the year, they shortened him up, came up to the majors. He was sitting 94, 95. So you saw the improvement. And there's one thing that's jumped out to me is I feel like the D-backs pitching development has done a really good job recently. A lot of their guys have gotten better. They've really done a good job helping guys just, just again, you know, whether it's velocity, whether it's command, it seems like for the most part, their best guys seem to move in the right direction. Is there some underlying theory at their pitching development that's led to this recent success? I don't know. Um, but I, I, I do agree with you. And I, I think they're going to have a couple more, uh, test cases, um, to see if they can get guys on track, uh, with, with a couple of guys that come to mind for me, uh, Bryce Jarvis and, and Connor Grammis, um, guys that have some adjustments to make and guys that have, I don't think there's any question. They have big league stuff if they can kind of use it properly. Uh, Jarvis has been working this spring to, to work on his extension and, and add, add to his extension, which was, uh, it was one of the, one of the shortest, uh, I guess strides or shortest extension lengths. I don't know how exactly you'd phrase it. It's not all, it's not all lower half, obviously, um, in all of professional baseball and, um, his, his four seamer got hit really hard. And, uh, Grannis has, is, is coming off of, of surgery sort of, um, he had that in 21, uh, struggled last year when he when he got back out there and and kind of was a little bit out of whack from a delivery standpoint, but still has like you know the ability to throw a triple digit fastball and two distinct breaking balls and 
Um, so those are a couple of guys I'm, I'm going to be watching. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like they've, they've kind of erred on the side of, of stuff a little bit more, uh, out of the draft, um, and kind of been rewarded for it. They've been able to, to get these guys. I, I, I think one thing when you, when you think of a lot of those guys is, is they're getting athletes, you know, I mean, um, Grammis and Nelson were, uh, were two way guys in college. I don't think, I don't remember if Jameson was, but I know that Jameson is, considered like the maybe the best athlete in the system i mean he's he's a guy who uh i wrote a story about this last year like beat corbin carroll in a foot race i mean that's crazy wow. corbin carroll has the <laughs> second fastest sprint speed in in uh stat casts i don't know what what stack has been around seven eight years like the second fastest ever and jay jameson is probably faster than him. I mean, that's, that's a really good right. athlete. I mean, it helps explain why a guy that's, you know, Jameson's even smaller than, than these guys and he throws a hundred. So, yeah. uh, I, I think leaning on athleticism and kind of betting on these guys to kind of be able to, to, you know, figure it out with, with reps, um, is kind of paid off for the Diamondbacks. Yeah, absolutely. Again, this is a really good system. Uh, their top five prospects are all in our top 100. Uh, me personally, when I submitted my personal top 100, I had their top nine prospects on my top 100 all the way down to Blake Walston. I, I think these guys are really good. So there's top end talent in the system. There's depth in the system. Uh, you mentioned Grammis and Jarvis as two guys to kind of keep an eye on, see if they can improve here in 2023. Who are some guys outside the top 10 that you think are sleepers that could really pop over the next year or two? Outside the top 10. Um, well, I'm looking at the top at the top 30 right now. I guess um, Ruben Santana is probably the first guy that that comes to mind. Um, just a a guy that that really looks like he can hit. I mean, he he could be kind of the next like Davis and De Los Santos, you know, to come through the system. Though he probably has a, a better chance of of sticking at third base. Um, but you you watch him swing and you can just tell it's a guy that's up there like looking to do damage. Um, just a, an aggressive a, aggressive swing. I, I guess he has a little bit more of a of an approach than you would expect. That, you know than, than I maybe I'm describing. Um, but I, I think that's obviously something he's going to need to work on. Um, and then I don't know. I mean, another guy like kind of right along with him is is Christopher Turin. Um, He's a shortstop, uh, really good bat to ball skills, uh, really good kind of nose for the game. It seems like just a guy with, with terrific baseball instincts, uh, folks think he's going to stick at shortstop for sure. And, and has a chance to hit, um, you know, I'm curious to see how, how guys like Justin Martinez, and I know they, they traded for Carlos Vargas. Um, they're kind of in that, a similar bucket of, of hard throwing relievers that could end up making an impact in the big leagues this year um with uh with some pretty good secondary stuff too um i think that those are probably i don't know who else who else comes to mind for you no i, I think that justin, i think the justin martinez pick is a good one i mean he's a guy that that you know i remember in 2020 in the instructs he you know he was raising some eyebrows i mean it's real stuff um you know he's had some trouble staying healthy but it's real stuff and and i can absolutely see him being a, a breakout kind of guy although i also feel like we've been picking him to be the breakout guy for like three years in a row. So, um, it's, but it's, it's funny. His career path is fascinating, right? I've, I've, I may have written about this, I think for baseball America at some point, just that for a long time, he was a guy where, you know, he felt like he was a long ways away, but felt like he had this, this really high ceiling. And then last year in the span of like two or three months, he jumps multiple levels and goes to the folly and gets added to the 40 and is being talked about as a, 
as a possible bullpen guy this year. So like it, it came really fast after, you know, a really prolonged runway. Yeah. And Hey, sometimes it happens. Development is not linear. And that's especially true with young pitchers as we see year after year after year, Nick, any final thoughts as we wrap up here about the D backs, their farm system, the organization as a whole, the, the future outlook. I guess we didn't talk much about Davis and De Los Santos. I, I mentioned him when we were talking about Santana yeah. and I, I, I get that there's, it, it just feels like there's some, there's some industry skepticism on him, but I see a guy who's 19 that was, you know, for a stretch there among the, the leaders in all of minor league baseball and hits and has, you know, ridiculous raw power. I was watching him on the backfields the other day, hitting balls out with what looked like ease. Um, I get I get the positional questions. Maybe he's not a third baseman, um, but you know, even if it's just a first baseman, I and I understand the right right profile is is tough. But this isn't a guy who was doing it at like age twenty three, you know, his second year out of college. This was a nineteen year old who reached double A and was hitting. I I don't know that he's getting quite as much run as as he deserves. And look, maybe maybe he falls flat this year, and and maybe the swing and miss concerns are are not. You know, maybe I'm not taking them seriously enough, but I think it's a guy that's hit at every stop and and could be a really fascinating name. Yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned him. And I'm glad you brought him up because I saw him at Visalia and what I liked a lot was I didn't see a guy who was just selling up for power. I saw a hitter first, a guy who actually had some good strikes on discipline, had some good pitch recognition, was able to check down, drive a ball to the right side, and oh, by the way, launch a ball 440 feet. And when he was playing age-appropriate and experience-appropriate competition that came out, they moved him very aggressively to high and also double A. And that's where, look, he started to expand. He was seeing guys who had stuff that, you know, the likes of which he had never seen. That's understandable. And I do think that some of the things that people are raising, like, oh, you look at his chase rate and they use that to knock him. It's like, yeah, but look at who he was facing. He probably wasn't ready for it yet. When he was facing age and experience appropriate competition, he was pretty darn good. He jumped out to me right away um, talking to scouts who were out here in the Cali. They loved him. They loved everything they saw. And it's the same thing that he's a hitter first with stupid power, which is what you want. Yeah. He's going to have to make those adjustments almost certainly. Right. I mean, the, the fact is he was swinging a lot and not really getting penalized for it. So as he moves up and, and starts to get penalized, we'll see if he can, you know, if he, if he slumps, if he struggles and, and has to make those adjustments, um, you know, what does that look like on the backside? But, I mean, so far it's, it's been uh, pretty resoundingly successful every stop, you know, every step of the way for him. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, 19 um, with those numbers, um, I, I think you take that. Yeah. 306, 348, 499, 22 homers, 106 RBIs, getting them to double A as a 19 year old. Um, th- there's a lot to like there. And, and you mentioned right, right first base only. There have been a few of them that have turned out pretty good. Paul Goldschmidt being one of them for the D-backs. He, Pete Alonzo's and Reese Hoskins the world, and they were much older than this guy is. So um, there's a lot to like, and we'll see if he's able to continue and give the D-backs yet another premium position player prospect, something they're, they're certainly not short on. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. We appreciate your time and insight as always. Of course, Kyle. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America Team Top 10 Prospects podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Nick Picoro, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.